This morning, we are in the final chapter. We're, we're really digging into the final chapter here. We kind of started it just a, a tiny bit by looking at verse 1 of Colossians 4, but we're in the, the final chapter of our study of Colossians. And as we look at this portion of Scripture here, we're going to see something that, that I think the Lord wants us to have on our radar, and it's also one of those things where this, is, this demonstrates something that the Lord wants us to be praying about and something that the Lord inspires us to take action in regard to. And so we're going to be talking about this idea of praying for an open door and then walking through it. What does it look like to pray for an open door, and then when the Lord gives you that open door, walk right through it? So that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6. So look with me, if you will. Colossians chapter 4, starting with verse 2, it says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this portion of your word today, we just thank you for it, and we pray that by your grace that you'd help us to understand it and live it out. Lord, we know that so frequently we come before you and we pray for a variety of things, and Lord, as we look at this portion of your word, it's it's very clear that one of the things that, that you desire that we be praying for is an open door, an opportunity to represent you and speak of you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us those open doors. We pray that we would walk right through them, and we pray that many would come to know you in a deeper way as a result. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us time now to be able to look at it together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we, when we read the Gospels and when we look at the commission Jesus gave his followers, as well as the activity that they engaged in together after his resurrection, one of the things that we could see is clearly a high priority for the Lord and for his followers is to simply tell others about him. And sometimes we overcomplicate that, but when you look at what the Lord has inspired us to do and what he's challenged us to do, he said, let other people know who I am. Teach others what it means to actually follow me. But from personal experience and from many of the conversations that I've had with many believers throughout the course of the years, it's become clear to me, and I think you probably agree with this statement, that the idea of sharing about Christ is a concept that frightens many people, even those who have a genuine desire to do so. There are many people that I've interacted with through the years, and I can even think of my own personal experiences, where we have the desire to let others know about Jesus, but there are things that make us at times hesitant to do so. There are things that we are commonly afraid of. So what are some of those things? What are things that we as believers sometimes wrestle with? Or what are some things that seem to like stoke some fear within our hearts? Well, I think one of the things we're afraid of is ridicule and rejection. We're, we wonder if that might come. You know, if we, if we share the message of the gospel, if we share that with somebody else, we might be rejected, we might be ridiculed. I think we're also concerned that we might experience confrontation and arguments. Does anyone here enjoy confrontation and arguments? Some of, some of us actually do so. Um, most don't, though, right? Most people do not. Uh, there's, you know, for every one person that, that does, 
there's, there's 97 that don't, right? Um, also, have you ever wrestled with this? You've desired to share your faith with somebody else, but you have this fear inside that they might ask you a question that, you're, that you aren't really sure how to answer. And you're not certain what to do after that. Okay, I'm seeing lots of heads on that one, right? So I think that these are common things. And I can say that I've been fearful of many of these same things. You know, over the course of my life, there are different moments that I could think back to, and it's like, I, I should have used that moment better, but why didn't I? Well, I think I was afraid of one of those categories when I analyzed some of my own internal motivations. But there's something very helpful that the Lord's been teaching me and, and really helping me to to really wrestle with over the past few years that I'm finding extremely beneficial. And I feel like he's helping me to be open and intentional about sharing my faith in a new way. And when I look at what Paul's talking about here, there are certain things that I think he demonstrates that we can all benefit from. And and I certainly want to be putting this in practice. I don't want to just be standing in a pulpit saying, oh, put this into practice and then and then testify before you. Now, I don't do these things, but I hope you'll do these things. In fact, I, uh, I, years ago, I, I was interacting with a, a, a pastor who um, was, com- he was kind of complaining to me, and he, he, said, uh, he said, you know, I'm always preaching on evangelism, and I just can't get my church to do it. They just won't do it. And, uh, and I, wa- I wanted to know from him, well, so is this something you do? And he's like, listen, my job is to share it from the pulpit. It's their job to do it. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not really how this works. Could you imagine if we applied that to other areas? It's like, it's like, I preach, don't murder. Now, I don't have to follow that, but I just preach it, right? You know, so anyway, this is something we all need to do. This is something I need to do. This is something that you need to do as well. But I, and I think genuine believers as a whole, I think we have a desire to see as many people as possible come to faith in Christ. And to see as many people as possible experience the new life that He grants to all who trust in Him. And so we find ourselves praying for our friends and for our family to come to faith. Um, we find ourselves, at times, and I'm sure you've done this, I certainly do this too, praying for people that we barely know or don't really even know at all to come to faith in Christ. But we also know, when you look at what Scripture says, it, it makes us clear, we know that, that somebody needs to speak up. And somebody actually needs to verbalize the message of the gospel for it to be heard, for it to be understood, and for it to be received. It has to be spoken. In fact, Scripture actually tells us this in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17. Scripture says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. So somebody needs to speak up. Somebody needs to say something. Uh, in recent years, it's, I've been very curious as I watch some of the opportunities that the Lord's been putting right in front of me. He's been giving me a few wide open doors to share about my faith in Him. And these experiences are teaching me that for much of my life, I think I was overcomplicating what it means to share the message of the gospel with other people. And in fact, I think a lot of people are overcomplicating it. I don't think it's as complicated as sometimes we make it out to be. I think mistakenly we sometimes believe that, that we need to convince people that they need to receive Jesus. And sometimes we actually treat salvation like it's something that could be argued into. And I don't really think it works that way. I certainly believe that it's good to be persuasive, 
Certainly believe that it's beneficial to offer convincing information. But we aren't the ones who soften hard hearts. And we aren't the ones who open blind eyes. That's the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He softens hard hearts and he opens blind eyes. So what's our role? Well, our job is to, to joyfully live out our faith in Christ with integrity, to share about the difference that he's made in our lives, to speak of our hope to others with humility and respect, and to pray for the Spirit of God to intervene in their hearts and in their minds, and then entrust those that we love over to his illuminating power because he will help people to see. He will use you as a mouthpiece and he will help people to see. I don't believe I'll ever argue or outsmart anyone into believing in Jesus Christ, but, but what I will do is I'll, I'll live a transformed life. And I'm going to do my best to live a transformed life that demonstrates the power of Christ and the presence of Christ. That Christ is not off at a distance from me, but that I'm living life with Christ right here in my proximity. That I'm not seeking to run from him, that I'm seeking to walk with him. And then that is going to open up doors to give me opportunities to tell someone what Jesus has done for me and what he desires to do for them. And when the Lord opens those doors, I want to seize that opportunity. And I believe that many of you want to seize that opportunity as well. And, I, and it's interesting. And I, I think about this a lot. A lot of times people think that you have to be some sort of trained person with some sort of public platform to be the one listened to. And what I've discovered is that the Lord has intentionally placed us in all different spheres with all different people that, that we know. And there are some people in this world who won't listen to that trained person. They will only listen to you because they've been observing your life over the long haul and they can see that you mean what you're saying. They don't know the person they're seeing on TV. They don't know the person they're hearing on the radio, but they know you. And you're probably the one that God's intentionally sent into their life for them to actually listen to. And so when you look at the closing chapter of Colossians, Paul gives us excellent counsel as to how we as believers in Christ can joyfully make him known. Even if we live in a world, you know, I heard Phil's prayer just a moment ago, even if we live in a world that may pressure us not to share about Christ, even if we live in a world that may pressure us not to be vocal or open about our faith in Christ, here you have Paul giving us counsel how we as believers can joyfully make him known. And my encouragement as we look at what Paul says here is don't overcomplicate it. This isn't as complicated as we're making it out to be. And I'll show you what I mean by using Paul's words here. First of all, begin this way. Just pray for an open door to talk about Jesus. Pray for an open door to talk about him. Look at how Paul phrases this when you look at verses 2 and 3. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, I think we'd all agree that one of the hallmarks of a healthy faith is the discipline of prayer. And I think one of the hallmarks of a healthy church is steadfast prayer as well. And so Paul challenged the Colossians to be prayerful people. He knew that they would need to access the power of God in the midst of the culture that they lived in. It was, it was challenging. It was very difficult. He also knew that it was highly likely that their faith was going to be tested, just as his faith was tested. But in the midst of those tests, 
And in the midst of the growth that would come from those tests, I, by the way, I think a, a tested faith is a, a faith that, that has opportunity to grow, Paul was reminding them to, to remain thankful because the Lord had already blessed them in so many ways. And so he's encouraging them, listen, you may go through seasons of tests, you may go through seasons where you're dealing with adversity, you may even go through seasons of imprisonment, like Paul was testifying that he at the time was going through imprisonment. And he's like, but remain thankful, be grateful, look at this as an opportunity. And as they were praying for themselves, and as they were praying for their families, and as they, as they were praying for their community, Paul actually wanted the church to also remember to pray for him. He's like, please don't forget to pray for me. And one of his big requests was that the Lord would open for him a door to tell others about Christ. Now, we've mentioned that a couple times already this morning, but I just want you to think about that phrase as it's coming from Paul's pen at the time that this is being written down. It's coming from Paul's heart. Why is he using this phrase? Why do you suppose he'd be inclined to use a phrase like an open door? Pray that the Lord would give me an open door as he's making this request. Why, why does he say it that way? An open door. Well, keep in mind where he was. Where was Paul when he was penning these words? At the time he wrote these words, he was under house arrest in Rome. And it was a house arrest that lasted a couple years. And he was awaiting trial in Rome because he, he, people were upset that he was proclaiming the gospel. That was the sole reason that he was in prison, right? Sole reason that he was under house arrest for proclaiming the gospel. And I'm sure that there are many days during that multiple-year imprisonment that Paul looked at his door, and he just wished he could step outside. I mean, how do you feel when you, when, like, does anyone here like being cooped up? Even if you, my, my wife has a shirt that's, that my sister bought for her. I, I like being outdoors. My wife likes being indoors. And my sister bought for her a shirt that just says, indoorsy. That's all it says. It's like an adjective, turning the like for the indoors into a, a shirt, indoorsy, right? Well, even if you're an indoorsy person like Andrea, I think after a while, you'll, you'll start to go a little stir crazy if you're a little too indoorsy, right? We want to be out. We want mobility. Sometimes you just want to see, see something different. And here you have Paul for a couple years dealing with this house arrest. And so when he would use a phrase like, Lord, please give me an open door, that wasn't just like a trivial phrase that would come from his mouth. He wanted that on multiple levels. And so he was praying that the Lord would open the door. He was also asking the church, pray for an open door, because he wanted to be able to walk freely like he once was able to do so. He wanted to tell others about, about Jesus Christ. And so while he was waiting for that door to open, he was seeking God's power to sustain him. And he asked the church to pray that the Lord would, would miraculously intervene on his behalf. And so let's, let's apply some of these things that Paul's teaching us by his example and by his words. Let's think about these for just a second. How often are we praying for an open door to tell others about Jesus Christ? That's something Paul's asking the church to be fervent in prayer about, right? For an open door specifically to let others know about Jesus. So how often are we doing that? And maybe I could even ask this, what does an open door even look like? What does it look like? Because we're using this as a phrase to kind of, we're not talking about literal open doors in most contexts, we're talking about theoretically, like what does an open door to tell someone about Jesus look like? Well, I'm convinced that if we keep sharing our lives with those who don't know Christ, and if we keep joining together with them in areas where we have common ground, I believe that the Lord will open up doors for us to be able to testify about Him. 
And I want to give you an example from my own life. And some of you already know this story. Many of you know, probably because I talk about it too much, but many of you know that, that uh, I spend some of my free time writing. And what else? What else do I like to do in my free time? Podcasting. All right. So some of you are brand new here and you're like, they know, Pastor. Yes. <laughs> Forgive me. All right. I'm living one life. I have time for a few hobbies. That's one. But yeah, I like to write. I like to podcast in my free time. And uh, like I've said before, I used to consider those hobbies, and now I consider them a major facet of the ministry the Lord's entrusted to me. So now one of the things he's been convicting me of, it's like, I ha stop treating it like a hobby and treat it like a ministry. It's a ministry, not a hobby. Okay. Well, in the process of creating that kind of content, what ends up happening is you start meeting other people that are doing some of the same things. You go to conferences, you make some friends, you get involved in different groups, you make some friends, you start meeting people that are doing some of the same things. And even though they're doing some of the same tasks, they're not all coming from the same perspective. So some of the people that I interact with are also creating faith-based content like I am, but plenty of the people I interact with aren't at all. And uh, last year, one of those friends asked me for a ride back from a conference that I drove to in Pittsburgh. And he said to me, any chance, he said, I have some family up in the Doylestown area, any chance I could just ride back from Pittsburgh with you instead of trying to figure out another way? And I said, oh, absolutely, yeah, just drive back to Bucks County with me, that's great. And I said, wait a second, you have openly said to me, you know, at one point he described himself as uh, atheist, and then he said, then he said, I don't know if I want to use that term anymore, but I'd still say of myself, I, I have no religious faith. And I said, do you really want to be trapped in a car for five hours with a pastor? I said, do you really think this is a good idea for you? I said that jokingly. And he said, oh, come on, you know that's going to be fun. I was like, all right, yeah, you could have a ride. And I said, wait a second, how about we do this? Let's not just make it a ride. We're both podcasters. I said, I have a, a setup that I could use where I could just record a conversation between you and me while we're driving. And I said, what if we just ask each other questions about each other's faith and core beliefs? And we do it in a way that we're just doing this as friends. I'm not going to try and convince you of anything. You're not going to try and convince me of anything. Let's just have an open conversation. We'll respect each other's opinions and not argue. But let's just talk about it. And I'll record it, and then I'll edit it, and I'll put it up on my podcast. What do you think? And uh, I had no idea what he would think about that, but he said, I love that idea. And so we prepared to do that, but then unfortunately he had a health concern. He, he was battling cancer at the time. Thankfully he's recovered from it. Really grateful for that. But he wasn't able to come to the conference like he thought. But we followed up afterward and we said, all right, let's still have that conversation. Let's just do it a different way. So we had the conversation a different way. He lives in Florida. I live here in Pennsylvania. And so we recorded it via Zoom, and we had the conversation. I put it out there on, on the podcast. We didn't argue. Uh, we didn't uh, speak disrespectfully to each other. We made that public, and we shared it. And one of, the cool one of the coolest things that came from that was in addition to us having that conversation, and then we had another follow-up conversation as well, which I thought was great. He shares that podcast regularly where I'm openly sharing the message of the gospel with my friend, and he's sharing some of his thoughts and beliefs with me as well, or at least reacting to what I'm sharing. He tells me, he just sent me a message recently. He said, hey, I shared that message. He said, someone came up to me and asked me, hey, are you a follower of Jesus? And he said, no, I'm not, but if you want to hear what I believe, I'll, I'll be happy to share a recording that I did with a friend of mine. So he shared the podcast with that guy. He said, I'm sharing it with my friends and my family. He's probably shared it more than I have. And I, and I look at that and I think, that's an open door. 
The open door is be relational. Just be a human being. Be a kind person. Interact with people whether they, they share your core beliefs or not. Share life with people. And then as you're going, all along the way, be Christ's ambassador in the context that he places you in. Because I look at that conversation, I thought that conversation was an answer to prayer. That conversation was an open door. It was an open door to talk about Jesus in a way that wasn't overly complicated. It's an open door to testify about Christ. And at this point, I have no idea what's going to come from that. Because the cool thing is, in that moment, it's all recorded. And it keeps getting listened to. And it keeps getting shared. And I wonder what kind of fruit the Lord might bring from that someday. As my friend, as his family, as other people that we don't even know, listen to that conversation and hear the gospel proclaimed. It was an open door in an unconventional way. And I think a lot of times that's what it looks like. Something else I think Paul's teaching us to pray about here that I think can be really useful is as we're praying for this open door to share with with others about our faith in Christ, pray for clarity and pray for relatability in how you communicate. Look at the way he phrases that when you look at verse 4. He simply says it like this. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I'll say it again. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, have you ever said something and then realized that the person you were speaking to had no idea what you were talking about? Have you ever had that experience? Uh, I, have to, I have to admit, I'm just going to confess this to you. Um, sometimes I, I have experienced that very thing while I'm preaching. And uh, one of the things I try and do while I'm speaking is I try to make good eye contact when I'm speaking. You know, I don't want to be uh, staring down the whole time. I, I want to be making as good eye contact as I, as I can, partly because I'm trying to read faces and make sure that what I'm saying is actually coming ac- across very clear. And by the way, I won't call anyone out when I say this, but there's a few of you that make it, uh, you don't even know you do this, but you make it abundantly clear with your facial expressions, whether or not a joke flopped, whether or not I'm being unclear or whether or not I'm being boring, or, or whatever. I see it, all right? By the, and by the way, people think, the pa- does the pastor actually see my face? or does The pastor sees your face? The pastor knows when you're on your phone and you should be listening? I see everybody. I see, except, if you ever want to not be seen while I'm preaching, go right over here. That's why the Smiths sit over here, right? And uh, yeah, that's right. So like both sides, I don't, yeah, Jess, Varun, EJ, I don't tend, for whatever reason, I don't tend to look over in these sections. I should probably do a sermon some Sunday where I just look to make up for like a whole year of not looking to the sides of the room. I don't know why I don't do that. I, I notice that afterward. I never, a- afterward, I'm like, who actually was sitting in those rows? I don't actually tend to look over there. But I, you know, you, you'll look, you'll watch. And, uh, and you wonder, is what I'm saying actually being conveyed clearly? Is it being understood? And so sometimes I'll find myself just kind of searching your faces, trying to figure out, is this coming across the way I mean it to? And when Paul was sharing about Jesus with others, he didn't just want to use words to fill up the time. That wasn't his goal. He didn't just want to just speak just to fill up a moment. He wanted to be abundantly clear in his presentation of the truth. That's what he was trying to do. So he asked the church, as he was asking them to pray for a variety of things, but one of the things he asked them to just simply pray for is that his communication would be clear. He just wanted to be clear. You know, as I proclaim the message of the gospel, he said, pray that I will make it clear. 
that I will be clear in this presentation. He didn't want to be lofty. He wanted to be relatable. He wanted to be understandable so that people would actually hear and understand what he was trying to communicate. And I think there's a good lesson for us in those comments because I think the best teachers, the best speakers, the best books, I think that they, they work hard to simplify and clarify complex information, not make it more complicated. Sometimes when I'm reading a book or sometimes when I'm listening to a speaker, um, I feel like you know, the author or the preacher or the professor is just trying to uh, just impress me with his vocabulary. And it loses me really quickly. The odds of me learning something valuable when someone's just trying to impress me with their vocabulary are very small. The odds of me learning in anything in a context like that, uh, they diminish quickly. The most effective teachers in any sphere, what they do is they strive for clarity. They want to be clear. They want to take complex things and make them accessible. I even think about this, uh, and this is something that I pray about regularly. I'll tell you what goes in, into my mind and in my thinking when I'm preparing a message each week. You know, I look around this room right now. This room is filled with people at all different seasons of life. Some of you are seniors, and some of you are 11. So how do you preach a portion of Scripture like this that connects with someone that's 11 and someone that's 81? And I think Paul was thinking the same thing. How do you convey in such a way that people would look at something like this and say, I understand what you're getting at? There should be something for every group in a message that's preached like that when you're speaking to a diverse group. And so here you have Paul striving for clarity, striving to teach in relatable ways, striving to to stay focused on helping somebody learn something new instead of focusing on trying to impress the people that he was speaking to. And by the way, if you ever have to do any public speaking, remember what I just said there. Because most people are scared to death to speak publicly, and I'll tell you what can help defeat your fear of speaking publicly. If you focus more on the value you provide for the person you're speaking to than on how you look while you deliver that content. If you stop worrying about impressing people and just say to yourself, all right, my goal is not to be impressive. My goal is to be helpful. What can I say that would be helpful? When that finally got clear in my mind, it diminished. I used to get sick to my stomach before I would preach. I literally would. For the first several years I was a pastor, I would spend all Sunday morning sick to my stomach until I was done preaching. And I thought, why do I feel that way? You know, I like telling people about Jesus. I like proclaiming the Word of God. And I think what was happening is in my, I was pretty young as I was doing that, and I think in, in just the insecurity of that season of my life, I think I was a little too focused on trying to impress and less focused on being helpful. And then when that switched in my mind and I thought, I don't care if I look like a bumbling goof, right? If I can communicate the message of the gospel and someone receives it, that's the metric that I need to be measuring whether or not that message came out the right way. If it helps someone come closer to Jesus, that's the measuring stick, not whether or not you looked good delivering it. And so that's what the type of thing Paul's, he's praying for clarity, he's praying for relatability, and he's asking for the church, please pray for these things on my behalf. And I'm certain when Paul was saying this, he had somebody in mind, specifically Jesus Christ. Because when you look through the Gospels, on Wednesday night we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, 
It's very interesting to observe the ways in which Jesus would communicate to different crowds and the ways he would also speak to small groups or individuals. He wasn't trying to be purposely lofty, even though he invented language. He wasn't trying to walk around and, uh, and communicate in such a way that people would say, he sounds smart. I have no idea what he's saying, but he just sounds smart. You ever interact with somebody like that? You're like, they're genius. What are they talking about? I have no idea. Well, then they are a useless genius. They should just go and talk to themselves in a mirror because that's useless. And when Christ was walking on the face of this earth, what was he doing? He's trying to convey something. He's trying to teach people who are distant from God to understand the heart of God. And so Paul's looking to Christ as his example, and he's thinking, all right, I need to remember how Jesus engaged with people during the course of his earthly ministry. He used story. He used personal examples. He made applications. He helped people understand grander concepts than what they were typically used to thinking about. And if Paul and Jesus spoke that way, I think we can follow their example as well. So don't aim to be impressive. Don't aim to be lofty. Aim to be helpful. Aim to be relatable. I think in doing so, the message you convey will come across with much more clarity. And I think it's also a lot more useful because it's also authentic. And it's coming from a place of experience and belief, not just a spot of theory. Something else that Paul brings up here that I think is useful for us to understand, especially as we're trying to maybe even earn the opportunity or earn um, you know, the, just the respect that would come that would allow us to be able to share something of value, be mindful of your testimony before those who don't share our faith. Because it's that testimony that's going to produce some of those open doors for you to be able to share what you care about. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. What does this world think about Christians? You don't have to answer it out loud, but you could think it for a second. What does this world think about Christians? Culturally speaking, I see a lot of stereotypes conveyed. Lots and lots of stereotypes. Things that people assume Christians are like. I hear about it from uh, two of my, my children are still in high school, and uh, they frequently tell me, that they say, we have some of the most interesting conversations when uh, we're having conversations with our friends, and then they ask, what does your dad do for a living? <laughs> and then the, typically, this is one of the questions they get. They're like, wait, your dad's a pastor? How does he have kids? I didn't think pastors were allowed to have kids. We're allowed to have kids, all right? Um, but that's one of the things that they hear frequently. Uh, my son had a friend over the house the other day, and he was just shocked at this. Uh, this one, I have this one Bible that is it's rather large. It's just a very large study Bible. And, uh, and he's like, why would anyone want a Bible that big? Like, why would anyone want? You know, and you think, like, people have, like, all sorts of thoughts and stereotypes and things that they wonder what Christians are like. And many of those stereotypes, unfortunately, are true, some of which are negative. And I always think, wouldn't it be nice if we could make a concerted effort to destroy some of those stereotypes by just being authentic people who are following the example of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day -day experience, in our day-to-day -day relationships? And when you look at Paul's counsel here, his counsel for us was that we would walk in wisdom toward those who don't share our faith. Walk in wisdom. He's saying, be, be wise about this. Think about how you interact with other people. 
The time we've been allotted in this world, he also tells us the time is brief, right? So think about this. The time you and I have been allotted in this world is brief. From the eternal perspective, the time we've been allotted in this world is very, very brief. So he's saying, make the most of it. You don't have a lot of it, so make the most of it. And when we're given the opportunity to either share a segment of our life or a season of our life or even just a moment of our life with someone who is outside our faith, we're called to be wise in how we handle it. And unfortunately, we don't always do a great job of that. And I think that that's why Paul brings this up, because he's saying sometimes it could just slip our mind. We don't think about it enough. And he's saying, think about it more than you sometimes do. I'll give you an unfortunate example. When I was a a new pastor in my early 20s, there there was a group of, of older pastors who invited me to play golf with them one day. And I was excited to do it. I always enjoyed hanging out with older pastors. I was trying to learn something new from them. I wasn't a very good golfer at the time. I'm probably not a good golfer now either, but I'm certainly better than I was that day. Um, But I went, and I was completely embarrassed when we went up to the counter to pay. Uh, The pastor who had organized the outing, he told the person who was working the register that we were all pastors, and he would like to utilize the clergy discount. That's what he said, and she had no idea what he was talking about. She had no idea what he's talking about, but he insisted that clergy were typically given a reduced rate to golf there. And I thought, oh, no. And I remember feeling so humiliated in that moment. I felt so humiliated. I thought, how how are you doing this without feeling embarrassed? Like, how are you saying this? Because there we were. He's announcing to the entire place, including the people that are waiting in line, because now we're holding up the line, hey, we're all pastors. Great, you know, and we're going to insist on a clergy discount that you don't get and you don't get and you don't get and you don't get, but we're going to make you wait while we wait for our supposed discount. The person working the, the register had no idea what he was talking about, so she goes to find a manager, I'm not, and she was trying to figure out, is there such a discount? And if so, how do I even apply it? I, it's not even programmed into the system here. And so they reluctantly ended up giving us the clergy discount, but I could see in their faces they thought we were just a bunch of goofs. And I just remember in that moment thinking, okay, mental note, find better friends. Um, but no, the truth is, It's like, never do that. Don't do that. Don't do things like that, because what does it do? It reinforces an unhealthy stereotype, and it's just not wise. You know, in a context like that, if somebody working the register, it's like the owner of the place, looks and he sees, you know, somebody that he knows, and he wants to do that, fine, that's on him. But don't go up and start asking for stuff like that. What a bad idea. The testimony that this world needs to see is not a bunch of people who, who spend all their time um, seeking to have our own needs satisfied at the expense of others. That is not a good testimony. This world needs to see men and women who love sacrificially, who give of themselves generously, who serve joyfully, who testify sincerely, and who walk with integrity. And the Lord has not given us a lot of time to do that. But I do believe he's placed a desire upon our hearts to do that. And in the time that we've been given, let's walk with wisdom. The impression many people in this world have about Jesus himself is going to be reinforced or improved by the lives of those who claim to follow him. And if, that's the, if we can give off the impression of the heart of Christ in our interactions with others, that does a wonderful work in opening up doors for us to be able to testify about Jesus who's changed our minds and changed our hearts. One other thing, and I'll finish with this, 
Paul invites us here to just simply speak graciously. Speak graciously. He says in verse 6 of Colossians 4, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's kind of interesting the way he phrases that there, how you ought to answer each person, implying that it might be a little different for this friend or might be a little different for this friend. You know, it's interesting when you look at the way Christ spoke to people during the course of his earthly ministry, didn't he typically take experiences that they would be familiar with and then work that into how he would have conversation or teach? When he was talking to fishermen, what did he tell them about? Or what did he challenge them to become? He says, I I want you to see something a little bit deeper than what you've been doing. You've been fishing for fish, and I'm going to teach you what it means to be fishers of men. You know, as he's talking to different people, you know, he's talking to a woman at the well. What does he say? Yeah, you're thirsty, and I could see lots of areas in your life where you're you're thirsting, but I, 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 I can give you water that will satisfy your deepest level thirst. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you have Paul concluding this portion of Scripture with a challenge to us to speak graciously. And I think it's a relevant encouragement for us in this particular era, especially since we live in an age where communication happens so easily. Even just a few years ago, would you have ever assumed that there would ever be a moment in your life where you could say one thing and have it be heard or seen or read by every single person in the world one second after you said it? Even 20 years ago, I would not have assumed that that would be highly likely. And now here we are, like from right where you are, from that seat, from your car, from your house, you could communicate something that could be heard by the entire world instantly. That's a pretty unique and special time to be alive. It's a very, and, and I frequently wonder, how would the Apostle Paul have used that opportunity if he lived in this era? Does it get the wheels churning a little bit? You don't have a lot of time, but you do have an opportunity. You have like this much time. So what are you going to do with that time, Right? Wouldn't it be nice if we chose to be gracious in how we use that opportunity, but that we also use the opportunity? I believe that the Lord speaks through His people, and that's very clear. When you look at what Scripture directly states, when you see exactly how the Lord has operated in our lives, I believe He speaks through His people. And I frequently pray, just from a personal standpoint, I frequently pray that He will give me the precise words to say. I I pray that before I preach a sermon pray that before I teach a class, I pray that before I record a podcast, and I often pray that very prayer before I have a conversation with unbelieving family or friends. I pray, Lord, give me something to say. I know I'm not going to change somebody's heart, but you can plant seeds in that heart through something you speak through me. Say something through me. And it's interesting, when you yield your mouth over to Him, you yield your life over to Him, He will surprise you with the thoughts that he puts in your mind to say at the exact right time. And you know deep down, this didn't come from me. This is something that came from him. He orchestrated this whole thing. We live in a very distinct era of history. And God's giving us open doors to share about his saving power during this age. You don't need a microphone. You don't need a pulpit to speak of God's goodness in your life. All you need is a mouth, 
and the willingness to engage with others in conversation. And if you keep putting yourself in proximity with other people and you live out your faith with sincerity, I truly believe that God will open doors for you to be able to testify to his goodness, to be able to testify to your faith in Jesus Christ and his saving power. And I also believe he will give you the exact words to say at the exact right time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the opportunity that you've given us to be able to look at your word and see these things that, that you inspired the, the Apostle Paul to write down, things that had a direct application in the era in which he was living and things that obviously still apply to us in this era right now, this information age, this era where communication happens so quickly and so rapidly. Lord, we take for granted the blessings that we have. We, it, it's only just a few hundred years ago when people were able to easily access copies of books. So for most of human history, that's not something that people had personal access to. And now we have digital books, and now we have all sorts of digital communication and printed communication and the ability to just say something and have it be heard every single place in the entire world in a moment. And Lord, you have given us the opportunity. We're the generation you selected to be alive during this time. We have more opportunity than the generations that came before us. And I also think sometimes we might even have a little more fear too, because with that big opportunity, sometimes I think we're, we're a little bit fearful of what, what if I say the wrong thing? And, or what if I don't say it the right way, or what if I don't have an answer, or what if I experience ridicule? Lord, please help us to go through our life not being afraid of being ridiculed. We pray that you take that fear away from us. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be able to smile in the face of insult, not with a smug smile, just with a content smile, knowing that we already know who we really are, and so an insult doesn't change who we are. An insult says more about the person doing the insulting. And so, Lord, we pray that we would go through our lives praying for open doors, and then when you give us those open doors, that we would just speak up or just say a little thing. And, Lord, I'm convinced that most of the time it could be helpful not even so much for us to be preaching directly at somebody, but just giving testimony to what you've been doing in our own life. It's very hard to argue with that. So often we think we have to put somebody on the defense and, and just kind of come at them and start picking apart all but a whole bunch of things. And, and Lord, really, I, I think it's most often more useful for us to just be open about what you're doing in our lives and just testifying to what you've been doing for us and creating a, a context or a conversation or a culture where people feel like it's, it's pretty safe to ask us follow-up questions about that. Lord, I, I'm not convinced that we're going to argue anyone into, into salvation. I mean, there, there could be a moment maybe in, in your providence where, where you say, just, just go for that. But Lord, what, what I'm typically seeing is that's not typically how this goes. So Lord, we pray that we wouldn't have this thought in our mind that we have to be lofty, that we have to know every little thing, that we have to be unrelatable that we have to be smarter than everybody. Lord, we pray that we would just simply look at what your word states and that as much as we know during the era that we're in, that we would just joyfully communicate it and live it out. 
And Lord, I know that all of us are going to know more about your word 10 years from now if we keep reading it and keep studying it and keep praying over it. We're going to know more 10 years from now than we know today, but that shouldn't mean that we wait till 10 years from now when we know a little bit more to finally speak up. Because odds are we know more than the person that we're speaking to. We could at least start there. We could share the things that we're reading in your word, the things that you're testifying to our hearts, the things that you're, you're showing us and revealing to us, and, and maybe help initiate that conversation with someone who, as of yet, doesn't realize how important these things are. And by your grace, Lord, we pray that we would do so in a winsome manner. We pray that we would not be argumentative people. We pray that we wouldn't be petty people. We pray that we wouldn't be the type of people that just look for a fight or look to win a debate. Lord, you want more for us than that. And Lord, when we see the ways in which you interacted with people during the course of your earthly ministry, Lord, you've given us the example that we're called to follow. We could see that Paul was trying to follow it, and by your grace, we pray that we would follow it as well. Lord, we're, we know that if, if the message of your gospel is not proclaimed, people will then not hear it. And if they don't hear it, they're not going to be given a res, an opportunity to respond to it. The means you have ordained for your gospel to be spread throughout this world is through the lips of your children. And so, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't live a life that just results in those lips being sealed for decade after decade. If anything, Lord, we pray that you just help us to be a bit more open to testifying to what you've been doing for us and just see where the conversations go from there. But Lord, we pray for those open doors, and when those open doors come, we pray that we'd walk right through them and that we would look back and just say, Lord, you were in the midst of that conversation. So thank you, Lord, for these reminders. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your power and your presence with us right now. And we commit ourselves to you today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.